Hey, everybody, and welcome to another My JavaScript Story. This week, we're talking to Gil Tyar. Gil, do you want to say hello? Hi, everybody. I'm really happy to be here. Yeah, now, um, you were on episode 341 of JavaScript Jabber. We talked about testing in JavaScript. And if I remember right, we dove into Selenium and a bunch of other tools. Um, and if I also remember right, you work for Apple Tools in Israel. Is that correct? Yep. That is correct. It's a visual testing company. So my passion is testing. And uh, somehow I landed at Apple Tools, uh, which you know writes testing tools for developers and uh, automation uh, developers. Awesome. Is there yeah. anything else that you want to bring up as far as uh, an introduction, things that you're famous for or excited about or anything like that? <laughs> Uh, for my lasagna, I think. It's, uh, I think I'm famous for my lasagna. lasagna. <laughs> uh, no, you know, let's let's just see where it's going, and 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 I'll, I'll if I'll think of something, I'll I'll tell you about all about it. Yeah, I have I have a lasagna thing myself. Um, I lived in Italy for two years as a missionary for the uh, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, and uh, when I came home. Um, my mom liked my lasagna so much that I actually made five pans of lasagna for my brother's wedding dinner. <laughs> so. Nice. And it went well? Yeah, it did. Good. Good. Yeah. I love lasagna. I, well, my kids do. Yeah. I put it together and then uh, she farmed it out to neighbors to cook it. So mm. we didn't have enough oven space for all of them. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Anyway, uh, let's, let's talk about you. Let's uh, dive into your coding journey. Um, how did you get into code? It started uh, roughly around uh, 13 years old. Um, my parents bought me, uh, we're, we're talking 80s here, mm -hmm. like not even mid-80s, early 80s. Um, my parents bought me a Sinclair ZX81. It had a full 1K of, of memory, not one megabyte, not one gigabyte, just 1K. And I could write little basic, uh, you know, programs on the chiclet keyboard. <laughs> and, and I, you know, very quickly I, I finished the memory. So we bought a 16K expansion. And that's how I learned basic. Um, and then I got upgraded to an Apple, uh, an Apple II, and learned Pascal from, uh, with, with Turbo Pascal 1.0. And... Um, and I, I was hooked. I, I loved it. I loved uh, what I was doing. I loved it so much that I wanted to do it uh, in, in the Army. Uh, I don't know if you know, but uh, man, Army service is mandatory in, in Israel. Mm -hmm. uh, and, well, if, if, you, like, if you're 
technically fit and very fit and you become a, a soldier soldier. Uh, but if, if you have like little disabilities and, and I had an open heart surgery when I was a kid, then you get to, you know, choose a bit more. So I went to what was called, uh, what is still called Mamram, which is the army unit uh, um, that works with computers. Uh, I did nine months. Yeah, sorry. I, I did nine months of, uh, of training. Uh, like, you know, that, that, that was 87. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and nobody knew computers back then. I mean, we were, the fact that I knew basic and Pascal was, was not, not, not regular. And so we had to learn from zero, like algorithms and, and, and all that stuff. Right. We did everything on the mainframe. Most of, of our training was on a mainframe PC. We learned, uh, what was that language? Uh, PL1. Um, and incredibly enough, after nine months, you get, to, you, get you know, they, they assign you to various uh, army units to continue work. And they wanted me to become an instructor uh, for the same you know oh wow yeah and it was like no but i want to work i want to write code and i don't want to be it's boring but they convinced me and i think it was the best thing that happened to me in my life because i got to do all sorts of fun stuff whatever i wanted i was building courses um and and, you know i I, there's this funny story I had to choose. They, they told me, okay, there are all these kinds of uh, subunits. Wh- wh- where do you want to go? And I said, I want to go to the PC, the, 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 the PC unit of, of the instructor course. Mm-hmm. And they were like laughing. What do you mean you want to go to PC? Mainframes are the future. Many computers are the yes, future. Yes, they were the future. <laughs> <laughs> Until uh, they weren't. No, no. Yeah, exactly. PCs, that's for games and, and, and you know, spreadsheets. And, and DOS, I said, no, I, I believe, it's amazing. I believe in the PC and I think, you know, it will be the, the, the biggest thing ever and mainframes will disappear. That was 87, that was amazing. And, and it was true, uh, I, I'm, I'm a prophet. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I, I, I did everything there. I mean, I, I learned uh, and taught C, C++. Windows was starting to come. Mm-hmm. So we taught Windows and, and, and all that stuff. So that, that was basically the beginning of my journey uh, through the army, like lots of people in, in Israel. Uh, but the fact that I did whatever I wanted there and, and, and taught, uh, which I still love to do, uh, made it a little bit uh, quirky and, and fun. Yep. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've talked to a few Israelis, and yeah, they've all mentioned that well, not all of them, but a lot of them have mentioned that, yeah, you have the mandatory uh, military service. You and, know, and, yeah, and if you've read Startup Nation, um, one of the biggest reasons that Israel is like, you know, a nation of startups, and it, it is true statistically, and, and, uh, is, is the army. Uh, we had a, a huge cadre of people, of developers, uh, doing computer stuff before it became, you know, widespread and everything. And part of the computer stuff was like really, really interesting because it was like uh, military intelligence and stuff. And so the people that came out of that did things like fire, firewalls, you know, the first firewall was Checkpoint, which is an Israeli company and stuff like that. So yeah, yeah, a huge part of the success is due to uh, the fact that the military used uh, computers. Startup Nation. 
Yep, it's a, it's, an, it's a wonderful book. It talks about the startup culture in Israel and how it came about. And if you, if, I don't know if it's still true, but it was true like five or 10 years ago. If you look at all the countries in the world, then after uh, the US, Israel is the biggest, it has the biggest maybe investment in the number of startups or the number of people working in, uh, and even if you take the US and split it into California and New York and all the 50 uh, countries, we're still number two after California. Oh, wow. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's huge. A lot of people don't know that, but uh, uh, startup culture and, and you know, software development is really, really big in Israel. That's awesome. I, I've also noticed that uh, at the conferences and stuff, a, a, a lot of the sponsors are from companies that are based in Israel. Which and, again comes from the fact that, you know, a lot of startups are, are Israeli. Yep. Huh. I'll have to check that book out. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, really interesting. Yeah. So you're, you're in the, the army or in the military. I don't know how you know, because we have four branches of the military here in the U.S. Right, no, it's just... I, I don't know if there's a distinction or if it's just, hey, it's the Army. No, it's uh, the whole thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so you're in the Army. You're teaching people how to use computers. Uh, did, did you make a career out of that before moving to the private sector? Or did you just kind of serve your time and then... I, I served my time. It was like six years. Uh, and then uh, left and, and started working like work work, not uh, software developing code and not doing instructions and training. That came really, really later uh, in my Wix days when I started uh, not so much teaching, but uh, giving talks and, uh, and, and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, where, wherever there was a stage, wherever I could do something, I was like immediately there and you know, talking and explaining and everything. It's something that I really, really love. Yep. Yeah, and we, I think we've had a few people on from Wix too, and I think most of them have been from Israel. So, yep, uh, Wix is a big company in Israel. It's uh, it's well known here, and uh, and their culture is is a is an is an interesting one. It's it's like this crazy company, but they're doing really cool stuff, and they have good engineering, really really good engineering. I learned a lot there, a lot. Nice. Very cool. Yeah, they uh, they run a whole bunch of websites for people. And yep, they, they, it's a website where you can go in and, and build websites for yourself. It's, I, I call it PowerPoint for websites. Mm -hmm. or, um, That's a good way of putting it. Just build it using drag and drop and, and all that. Uh, I spent through, well, well, I think we'll get to that. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, I think we will. Um, okay. What were you doing in the, the private sector, though? So yeah, I spent like uh, four years in a company called Magic. There was this huge boom of of, uh, of tools that basically disappeared. Not really sure why. And they were called uh, uh, fourth generation languages. It was like this weird. Uh, and, and the idea is uh, all the applications look the same. You know, most of the regular applications, you know, tables and you select and you delete CRUD applications. There's not a lot of why not build a tool that will help you build uh, those applications in a more not, and not need to write code? Uh, that was the idea. Uh, magic was huge back in its days. It was called Magic. Uh, they still have a following, I think, in Japan and other places. Um, and uh, I spent their four years uh, building their next-gen tool. I learned a lot about do not what they wanted to do was they, they it was it was running under dos which was the operating system 
time and they wanted to port it to Windows. Uh, and the, the CTO or something like that decided to rewrite the whole thing. Yeah, we're going to rewrite it, everything. We're gonna make it. We spent four that years. That always goes well, yeah. Oh, <laughs> I, I think Joe Spolsky has a, has, a, has a whole thing about it. We spent four years uh, on that really, really interesting project. Never, nothing came out of it after four years. I think it was five years, but after four years, I left. Finally, when they understood that nothing is going to come out of a rewrite, they took the original team and like in half a year, they hacked out a solution from the existing code. Mm -hmm. uh, and, they lost, and they lost the game. They lost it to Visual Basic. Uh, those four years were crucial. And Visual Basic came out and then everybody you know, switched to it because they wanted Windows. Uh, and they lost the game to Windows. And I learned never, never, ever, ever rewrite um, something. Just do it incrementally. Uh, yeah, I, I got a boss really mad at me one time because we went in and said, but we'd only been working on the app for seven months and we were like, we could probably move faster now that we know what we're <laughs> now that we know what we're doing, we just rewrite this thing. Yeah, and, and, and I think that, you know, if, if in four years you still have yeah. some parts of the code that you had four years ago, that's also a problem. I mean, you need to constantly yeah. uh, refactor and change and, and adapt and, and, and learn stuff. I was, you know, I, I was spending the last three days rewriting a whole microservice because I understood a lot more about it and, it, it and I needed to add something to it. And that addition was like going to be really, really awkward. So I rewrote the whole thing. I refactored it. Do it piecemeal wise. That's great. Yeah. Do it in one big bang. Never. Yeah. No, I agree. And I think we would have been well served to just refactor the pieces that were shitty. Yep. So that was magic. Uh, four wonderful years. Again, I learned a lot. I, I was C++. First time I, I coded in C++. And then, uh, and then there was this, uh, it's long. I mean, I'm, I'm 30 years in, in this uh, industry. And then there was this really cool dot-com. It was like the height of dot-com back then, 90-something. Mm -hmm. uh, really cool um, company that did 3D stuff. There were lots of designers and artists in the company, and I was like totally hooked because I love this, this kind of thing. I spent two years there doing cool 3D stuff in C++ and Direct3D until finally I understood that the CEO doesn't really know what they want to do. Uh, <laughs> I've been there before too. But, but it was the dot-com era. So right. they poured money at him like crazy, even though he had no idea what to do with the money. So we spent two wonderful years and I made lots of wonderful friends there. Um, but nothing, no, nothing came out of it. But one thing did come out of it. Um, a friend of mine from, from, from the magic days and from the other company days, uh, it was the dot-com boom. He said, hey, let's create a company. And yeah, in, in 2000, I, 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 uh, I founded a startup along with that, with that guy, Elon Rescher's. Uh, who is now uh, the CTO of Gong, CTO and co-founder of Gong, which is a really cool company. You should check it out. Uh, they analyze, they read and analyze uh, um, uh, phone calls, sales phone calls, and, and support phone calls, and do all sorts of fun stuff. Oh, interesting. Yep. Uh, I created Web Collage along with, uh, with, with Elon and uh, spent like 12 years 
building a company uh, from the ground up. It was, uh, wow, it was, it was a journey. I, I learned one thing, one, one big thing I did learn. Uh, I, I don't like it. <laughs> I, I like, like I don't like managing and, and doing the business stuff. Not, not even managing a team. Uh, I, I can do it. I can do it okay. But at heart, I am a developer. I like coding. I like the professional, you know, the side of it, the technical side of it, and not so much the business or the managerial aspects of it. Oh, right. Um, so, so yeah, from, from, from that point on, uh, it's just straight development. Even as a team leader, I, I was like hesitant. Yeah, I can, I can lead a team of like two or three, but more than that, you know, find someone else. I want to go back to writing code. <laughs> I, I really love it um it's 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 fun um yeah, yeah web so webcash was like the big the early days it was 2000 we we wanted to write a reverse proxy i don't uh, a reverse proxy which did stuff on html pages it transformed html pages from one thing to another and it had to be really fast and, and you know software that days was risk hardware that days was really slow so we wrote it in c plus plus uh, Java wasn't an option back then, and for performance reasons. But there was nothing. We 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 had to uh, you know open the connections ourselves. We had to parse the HTTP headers ourselves, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Right. So we wrote the whole stack. Uh, I learned a lot about the web and HTTP, and that was my first encounter with JavaScript. Uh, it was JavaScript on on Netscape four. If somebody remembers that, uh, <laughs> I, I think it's. It was like JavaScript 1.0 or 1.1. It was a really, really bad language uh, back then. Uh, I, I think it's wonderful now, just, you know. Uh, but it, it was really bad. It didn't, it had nothing. Uh, but something in the syntax, something in the fact that it was like just functions, nothing more, caught my eye. It was like, hey, this, this whole functional thing is, is cool. Why do I need to do, you know, all these classes and members and interfaces and abstract functions and all that thinking when I can just use functions? It was like, hmm, there's something there. Yep. Uh, but it was really bad. <laughs> yeah. Back in the days. So, um, so what made you get into JavaScript then? Like what made you fully transition that way it started with with you know i was I, from from C++ we transitioned to java and it's all static type static typing right. but then it, uh, the next company was cloudshare and there i encountered python it was the first dynamic language that i really wrote code in not not no you know like mm -hmm. little bits of code but full application and Something in me like clicked with the whole idea of, oh man, don't, don't, don't. We were spent, in the Java days, we would spend time uh, discussing the types and the classes and who inherits mm -hmm. who and what is the right interface and what is the wrong interface. And then in Python, you just write the code and, yeah. and you pass data around. You don't pass objects. You, you basically pass data structures like dictionaries and, and numbers, etc. And that was like uh, a revelation. It was like, oh, this is, this is simple. I'm not sure why I did the whole thinking about types thing. Um, which led me to Wix, which led me to Wix, which was the next company. And there, 
I, I got I was an architect back then, and we were we would I uh, we were thinking about this idea of of we, now it's called Wix code. Wix code is the ability to write code back and in front and in in the in the in the Wix site. So uh -huh. we needed a place that. Uh, we, we needed to, you know, take the front-end code that the user writes and transform it, but babelize it, etc., and then a place where the user could write back-end code and, and have it run. So the obvious thing was to use Node.js. Right. Uh, and I took Node.js, and I was like a Scala developer back then. I took Node.js, and I wrote a POC in, in three days. POC? It was like, yeah, a, a proof of concept. Um, it was like I have uh, three or four days before my two-week Thailand vacation. I uh -huh. don't exactly know what to do because that's how Wix works a lot of times. So yeah, I'll write the proof of concept. You know, let's let's. <laughs> I didn't know Node.js and I knew JavaScript like in in basic terms. And and boom, like after two days, it worked. And that was that was my first real, 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 real encounter with with uh, with, with JavaScript. And from then on, it was, it's like JavaScript uh, all the time, all the time. Nice. Yep. So uh, what kinds of things have you done with JavaScript that you're proud of or you think are interesting that people would be interested to hear about? So Wix code is bizarre. Uh, I'm really, really proud of that project, but it's, 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 out, it's not, you know, um, mainstream. Uh, I, I think the, the thing I am most proud of is what I'm doing right now um, in, in Apple Tools. Oh, oh by, by the way, you know what? In Wix, I spent half a year, a bit more, uh, doing the front-end code. This was my first time doing front-end code with React and Redux and all that. And I, I, was, I was writing, you know, we were talking about how do, how do we write the front-end code. It was a Greenfield project that zero code right. and go all the way. And my big question, you know, I, I, I love testing, was, okay, how do we test it? Uh, and I'm really, really proud of, of building, you know, the methodology which is used on, up to today at Wix code in the front-end of how to do front-end testing. And I still believe in that methodology today. How to do union, how to do, we, we talked a lot about it. Uh, yeah, how to do it. And I'm really, really proud of it. I invented, uh, you know, using JSDOM and integration tests. I didn't know that, you know, it was something that was uh, starting to become a thing. So I, I, I invented it in my, you know, there's air quotes there. Uh, and I'm really, really proud of that, that piece because I think I, think I, I did it correctly. Uh, and I still use it when I, whenever I write front-end code. So yeah, that's one thing I'm proud of. But what, I, what I'm particularly proud of is, is my, my work at Apple Tools. I came here uh, to Apple Tools, and the CTO, Adam, um, told me, we have this new product that we want to build. Mm -hmm. um, it's called the Visual Grid. And the idea is... You run a, a you know a grid of, of of browsers, Chrome, Firefox, IE, Safari, etc., on our servers, on the servers, and we send we we send what we call uh, snapshots, you know, of, of of a page, and you render those snapshots in Chrome and in Firefox and IE, etc., etc., etc. So the, the Visual Grid is basically something that 
gets rendering jobs and renders them across all kinds of browsers so that a, a user can run the test once and yet get screenshots of all their pages. Um, you know, um, even if they run the test once on Chrome, they'll get screenshots of, of Chrome or Firefox and of different responsive width. So iPad width and, and iPhone width, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And he said, yeah, well, I told him, okay, what, what do you write? And he said, .NET. I said, oh, do I have to write .NET? He said, no, go ahead, do whatever you want. And I said, I want. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, do whatever you want. Uh, I said, yeah, okay, no JS Kubernetes. Uh, he said, sure, I don't know what that is, but sure. <laughs> no, he, he knew. But, uh, but he didn't have experience with it. And for eight months, I was working alone on that project, just doing my thing. Uh, and, and writing that whole product. Uh, after eight months, uh, another uh, developer joined me, so now we're like a team of two. But those eight months where the whole thing is running now in production, and it's running uh, flawed, well, you know, problems here and there, but basically flawlessly. And, and you know, it's all in Node.js, all in Kubernetes, all using the methodologies of testing and deployment that I, I preached for but never got to practice, and now I'm practicing them, and they work. Um, so yeah, that is my biggest, biggest uh, uh, accomplishment, I think, uh, in my career. Nice. Yeah, Kubernetes is something that I wanted to spend a little more time learning, but I just, I haven't been able to prioritize it, so. Yep. It's a wonderful tool. It, it's like, I, I'm not, I, if I go back to my web collage days, like early 2000, thinking of building such an infrastructure without a team of system administrators now called you know devops was right. was crazy now I, I i don't have i i don't have a system administrator i just do it on my own and the enabler is is one the cloud okay and two kubernetes which just enables me to deploy with like you know three files and boom uh i i get to deploy whatever i want how many docker containers i want and it just works it's it's amazing technology and, and very after you get over the hump there's a hump a learning hump uh it's very very easy to use yeah it looks and sounds awesome it is yep well one one more thing i've been working on uh, one of my you know i'm a i'm a, I'm a big believer in, in monorepos um and I really wanted. There's a debate that's been had, <laughs> uh, yeah. which is probably why I'm 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 a, I'm a, I'm a fan. Uh, okay. And I, I, I we started working like that at Wix on, on at Wix code, uh -huh. but I really wanted to bring this to you know to conclude to a, a thing to, to to be really complete. And so I decided, okay, uh, the Visual Grid and any project that will be Node.js uh, later is going to be a monorepo. And I did it, and, and I have like today, we have about 80 packages, NPM packages inside them, and it's all based on NPM or the whole, mm -hmm. everything, everything is communicating via NPM. So all, all packages are, are you know, independent of one another, they're just linking right. to one another using NPM. And the whole thing is, is amazingly enough working. Uh, but the problem is that there is no good build tool that builds, that builds a monorepos. If you look at Circle and all that, they assume that you know one package equals one repository, oh, or one yeah. microservice equals one. They don't have the concept 
of here's a whole monorepo. I did changes in this and this and this package. Could you please build this to me? And could you build it um, so that the dependency graph makes sense? So build it <laughs> in the correct order? Yeah. They don't, they don't know how to do that, um, right. unfortunately. And so I built a tool and it's called Built. Uh, it's 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 open source. It's not yet fully complete. We're we're you know doing semi-manual build processes right now, but once it's complete, I think it's I, I don't know. I, I hope it'll change uh, people's thinking around monorepos. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. Um, I know that uh, Google operates out of a monorepo. Um, <laughs> I, I think Angular and a few of the other you know they they kind of have their own repos, but. Right, Babel, yeah. React. Yep. Yeah, a, a lot of those operate out of a monorepo. So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I did Ruby on Rails for a long time. Well, I still do Ruby on Rails, but uh, yeah, they also like all of their core libraries are in a monorepo. Right. Oh, a Ruby also. Yeah, Ruby on Rails. So, like Active Record and all of the different libraries that make it up, um, the the core ones that are maintained by the Rails core team are all in the Rails repo. Uh huh. Uh -huh. And they all have their own folder. Right. Nice. Um, yeah. It is an approach. It does work. It's just, you know. It, it's not there. The tooling isn't totally there yet. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, visual code is, is all there. Uh, they have the concept of workspaces and projects. And that's exactly what I need. Mm -hmm. uh, what we need. Uh, so in terms of editing, it's all there. NPM, mostly there. NPM link is, is a bit of a, but they're working on it. Uh, but the worst is, is the build tools. Nothing, nothing there. Interesting. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, people should uh, definitely keep an eye out on that. Um, yep. anything else you're working on that you want to talk about? Nope. Uh, all my eyes are towards the uh, visual grid. We're working on IE support and, and in the future, maybe Safari support. So it's a whole thing, you know, Firefox and, and, and Chrome are easy, not, not really easy, but because they can be headless in a Docker container. But IE is, you know, it's Windows. So VMs and dealing with VMs is not as fun as dealing with Docker containers. Now, when but you say IE, are, are you including Edge in that? Or <laughs> That's a big question. I'm, I'm telling my CTO, nah, come on. Edge is, is you know, it's, it's dead. It's, it's, chrome, it's going to be Chromium. So we're, we've got that covered. And he says, no, 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 no. We need Edge support. So I said, okay. Yeah. So, yes, it will include Edge. The current edge and you know all future edges probably, right? Yep. Cool. Yes. All right. Well, uh, let's go ahead and do some picks then. You have some okay. picks? Things you want to share? Yeah, I do. Uh, things I love. The things I, I I've, I've done lately. First of all, there are two amazing YouTube um, um, series. Um, which I've, you know, in 2014, it was like two, 100 years, uh, in like 1914 to 2014 for the World War I. So this company of people, amazing people, they did a week-by-week -week reconstruction of World War I. So every week you get a 10-minute episode oh, which wow. recounts that week in World War I. Uh, that sounds awesome. So four years I've been, you know, um, um, working on, you know, um, um, uh, listening to what's going on in, in World War One. It's an amazing way to learn history. 
Now I, yeah. I, I know World War I, I understand it. I understand the processes and, and what, what happened there. Amazing. So that's called the Great War. And once the Great War ended, they started in September 2018 uh, with World War II because uh, it's not exactly 100 years, definitely not 100 years, but at least it's, it's the correct months. So September 1st, uh, Germany invaded Poland, and the same goes. And now we're, we're working week by week um, on, on World War II. And it's, it's absolutely fabulous. It's called World War II. Uh, you can find it in YouTube. And the guy there, Indy Nidell, I think, I don't remember, Indy something, is, is a wonderful uh, present, presenter, and he does the whole research with, along with a, a small team of, of, of people. So I, I absolutely recommend it to history buffs, and I'm not a history buff, so also to people that, you know, think it's just 10 minutes a week. It's wonderful. Yeah, my wife really enjoys, and I don't know why, but anyway, she, she's really into World War II documentaries and stuff so i might have to uh ruin her on that <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah she should she should it's, it's it's really really good um my son he's 18 uh he, he recommended a, a, a tv series called picky blinders it's um, immediately after world war one um which is strange because i said nah i'm not gonna see you know a historical TV series, but it is good. Uh, it's based in, uh, in England, uh, and it's about the mob, the Irish mob in England. And, and oh, interesting. And lots of stuff. Really, really good, especially the first season. So Peaky Blinders is uh, five stars for me. And, uh, and, and, one of, and I, I'm, I'm an avid reader. I read a lot, especially now that the kids are, are bigger. Um, uh, there's this Norwegian um, um, writer called Karl Ove Knausgaard, and he's written six books, which horribly, and I'm Jewish, are called Mein Kampf, uh, which, which it seems is in Norwegian for my struggle. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, it's a bit of a, you know, but, but, but the books are wonderfully sensitive and wonderfully human. So, so I, I, uh, I absolve them of, of the sin <laughs> uh, and, and they're amazing. They're, they're like this big, they're huge. Uh, so it took me like two years uh, to, to go through the six of them, but I really, really, really love them. So those are my picks, I think. Nice. If you put links to those in the chat, then I will uh, make sure they get in the show notes. Um, I'm going to jump in here with a few picks of my own. Um, one pick that I have, and this is something that I've been listening to for a while. I'm sure I've picked it on these shows before, but there are a couple of podcasts that I've kind of been binge listening to for the last few months. Uh, one of them is called um, The MFCEO Project, um, and I try and maintain a clean rating, so I'm not going to tell you what MF stands for. I'm sure you can figure that out. Uh, the F stands for mother. The F stands for something that doesn't go in a clean rated show. Um, but anyway, it's, it's an entrepreneur named Andy Frizzella and he just talks about um, how to be successful and how to not make excuses for yourself and things like that. Really, really uh, terrific. Cool. Um, he does curse a bit. So if that bothers you, then don't listen to the show, but um, I, I've, I've really enjoyed the show. Um, another one is the ask Gary V show. That's uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's, uh, show he just answers questions um i think it's on itunes now as the gary v ex audio experience or something like that 
Um, they're also on YouTube, so you can go pick them up there. But uh, yeah, good stuff. I've, I've really enjoyed those. And what I tend to do is I tend to listen to those. So I'll listen to a month's worth of those. So whatever mm-hmm. got released in, the, in that month. And then I'll go listen to an audio book on Audible. And then I'll come back. And nice. I have a few other shows that I stay current on. But uh, these are ones that I've been listening the backlog on. So um, I think I've listened to three or four years worth of their shows so far. Both of them. Um, and yeah, so I just finished December of 2016 for both of those shows. So yeah, now, so now I'm uh, listening to a book and um, I, I'm going to pick the book, even though I'm not that far into it. And I don't know if it's a great book or not, but it's kind of a classic book. It's a farewell to arms by Ernest Hemingway. Mm, and uh, yeah, um, I actually, <laughs> funny enough, um, I picked up that book because there were people out there that were saying, uh, don't read that, read this cause it's better. Mm-hmm. And that, that kind of stuff, don't do this. That's like a dare for me. So, <laughs> um, so I was like, okay, so why are you telling me not to read it? So I went and I've listened to the first half hour of it. And what's really fun is that, um, I lived in Italy for two years. I think I mentioned that at the start of the show. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so they're talking because it takes place in Italy. And I didn't realize that when I picked it up, <laughs> funny enough. But yeah, so they're talking about heading into Udine or um, going over to Gorizia and things like that. And these are all places that I've been. So um, yeah, people are probably going, when did you, why would you ever go to Udine? I don't know. There's not a whole lot there, but you know, anyway. Um, so that was fun. That, that's been kind of fun for me. And it's definitely an interesting look at, I think it takes place like right at the end of World War I. Mm-hmm. So it, it's been kind of an interesting historical journey. And um, one thing that I found looking at history or looking at politics or looking at a lot of these things is that there's more to the story. So when we hear an issue boiled down to you hate people like this or, you know, you just don't have empathy for this situation, um, as you dig in, there's definitely that element of empathy on the one side, but there's more to the story and the people who oppose it, they're not, not empathetic. They're just looking at a different part of the story. Mm -hmm. And so as you get more pieces of the facts, what you really find out is that there isn't a great answer to this, but uh, you know, we've been polarized by the news media that we consume or the people we listen to into camps. And the reality is somewhere in the middle. So anyway, um, that, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy, you know, some of the historical stuff. Cause then it's like, okay, so what's the context around that? And, and then you learn something about humanity. So anyway, have you heard of the, there's a site, I think, uh, discussing if Ernest Hemingway wrote JavaScript, where it shows JavaScript as written by Hemingway and by, you know, James Joyce and by all these other authors uh-huh. in their own style. Yeah, it's really funny. I'll have to check that out too. Anyway, this is my first Hemingway too. So, all right. Well, if people want to find you online, Gil, where do they go? Uh, Twitter. I'm I'm mostly on Twitter. Uh, My my handle is like my name. It's G I L T A R T A Y A R. Um, I'm mostly there. Feel free to DM me. My DMs are open for tweet or whatever. Um, I'd love to chat. Awesome. All right. Well, we'll go ahead and wrap this up. Thanks for coming, Gil. Thank you. It was fun. It was fun. All right. We'll talk later on. 
Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.